0: Thank you so much for tuning in to Northridge Church Podcast. We're so glad to have you a part of our weekly service. For more information, please visit us online at NorthridgeThomaston.com. Now prepare your hearts as we dive into God's Word. Maybe the Civil War, and I'm going to point on that, that we are in a divide today more than ever between political groups, between religious organizations. For goodness sakes, even if we worship Jesus Christ, the same God, we can't even agree to disagree. We're fighting at every turn and at every corner. And I believe there's a crescendo effect that's in place where I believe God is getting to a place, with all of my heart I believe this, to a point where he's going to say enough is enough. And he's going to call his glorious church home. I believe that. But Beginning in 1775, at the American Revolutionary War, all the way through, To enduring freedom, which still exists today in the Middle East, we have lost blood of men and women from sea to shining sea. I want to highlight a couple of these, if I may. The American Revolution from 1775 to 1783, we had 25,000 casualties. Do you know why we fought that fight? The main reason that we fought it is because British soldiers, the influence, they wanted us to worship their way. They wanted us to worship in their church. They wanted papal authority where the pope would be over even the king. And there's a whole storyline there with King uh, with Henry Eighth and his willingness to want to divorce his wife, Anne Boleyn. And part of the Protestant Reformation is due to those diversities. And then you see the British soldiers come in, and, and they encounter at Lexington and Concord and Massachusetts, these militiamen of the colony, and then we hear the shot heard around the world that started, watch this, not only started a revolution, but started wars that have yet to end in this great nation. From 1775 to 1783, 25,000 American men died. The War of 1812, 1812 to 1815, we see another great war. We see another 20,000 men and women give their life for the cause of war. Advancing forward to World War I. 1914 to 1918, four years, 116,516 men, American men, lost their lives on the battlefield. Why? There's really four reasons that World War I even existed, and it can be found in the acronym of the word "man." There was materialism. It goes back to what I said. It's for the want of man. Man wants so much. Secondly, it's alliances. They're trying to build alliances. Thirdly, is imperialism. And then fourthly, nationalism. It's all about man trying to gain more power, more authority. And it goes back to that religious influence, nationalism and imperialism, is so that men will worship the God that they say we ought to worship. I'm so glad today that God gave me one of the greatest gifts ever given to man, yet one of the most detrimental. And that is the gift of free will, that I am a free moral agent. I am not created as a robot to say I have to worship, but I get I come willingly and I think that's the God that I serve World War I 116,000 men perished World War II Probably the great war that everyone remembers, even in our culture, because out of that formed the baby boomers of which my parents were born. And then then out of that birthed Generation X, and, and that's my generation and following. And then now we don't even know what to do with these new millennials. And you know what I know? I think we spread the gospel. We tell them about Jesus unless they forget. World War II from 1941, check it out, to 1945, 405,399 men died. Why? I'll tell you why. Because of Italian fascism in the 20s, Japanese imperialism, and invasion of China in the 1930s, and especially the political takeover in 1933 of Germany by Hitler and the Nazi Party as, as he went to spread his Nazi propaganda to destroy an entire group of people, God's people, the Jews. Setting out the bombing on that one perilous morning in Pearl Harbor, culminating on the equal perilous day in Hiroshima when we dropped the atomic bomb in the Nagasaki. The memorial that we see today are those six Marines that are erecting the American flag there in Hiroshima in the ruins, six men erecting that flag. as to say we declare victory, putting an end to World War II. You say, man, that's amazing. It is amazing. But how many women and children and innocent bystanders died that day? And then right there at that moment, you can write this down in your history book. started a war called the Cold War between the American policy, Soviet Union policy all throughout Middle Eastern Europe. <clears throat> Cold War, because it was a war that we were afraid to go to war with them. They were afraid to go to war with us. It wasn't a hot war. They were really weren't bullets flying. But all the while, everybody thought you were going to bomb me, I was going to bomb you. And that culminated all the way until around 1990 at the, at the collapse, the, the breaking down of the Berlin Wall, opening up the door, if you will, the iron curtain being dropped so that men and women could once again freely go in and out. The collapse in 1991 of the Soviet Union as a superpower. But I want to tell you something. Write this down in your Bible somewhere. We haven't heard the last of Russia. Then we fast forward to the 1950s. 1950 to 1953, when North Korea, under Japan's imperial army, went in to attack South Korea, to once again influence communism, to mandate a form of religion, a dictatorship So we stood up as a great power and said, wait, you know, we have the right, don't forget the second paragraph, that we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have the right to choose. That was given us by our God. And oh, by the way, we have a responsibility to also protect other nations who can't protect themselves. You say, why do you believe that? Proverbs 31 and 8 says this, to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves and assure justice for those being crushed. We have a responsibility. A lot of times people say, those are not our wars. Let me tell you something, guys. If we don't stand up, who will? If we don't share the gospel, who will? 1950 to 1953. On the latitudinal line, 38th degree parallel above the equator, there was a line that was drawn that still exists today that became the demilitarized zone between South Korea and North Korea. On the north side was the Soviet Union who sided with the North Koreans trying to perpetuate the Communist Act. On the south side, the United States took a a part in that and said, no, you're not crossing this line. And still today, separation exists on that 38th parallel. And then we advanced what I believe to be one of the most catastrophic, not just because of the 58,000 lives that were lost, but because it was a war that no one wanted. It was a war that existed beginning in 1955. And 20 years later, at the fall of Saigon in 1975, we had boys going over there, some hitting the ground on day one and being slaughtered. All the while, check this out. All the while, We in America are sitting back at the post-World War II era, the baby boomers, and everybody's wanting to celebrate and party, and we're sitting back and we're spitting in the face of these men who are going to fight for something that they believe in, that they believe they have to do. Once again, North Korea invading South Korea. These men came back home having heard from people like Jane Fonda who stepped out into the North Korean side as a humanitarian speaking against the American soldiers. And for the first time, media that would travel with the war, sending back images that the war let me tell you something, guys, you don't want to know what war entails. You really don't. You don't want that. For the first time on television, they see houses being burned, villages being burned, the remnants of of people like on that that highway of where the girl had the uh, the burns from the napalm running down and they were pouring, the American soldiers pouring water. We don't want to see that. Yet it became the front page of Time Magazine, the Pulitzer Prize winner. So that when our boys came home, having given up everything, they were called murderers. We never really truly honored those boys in the way that they should have been honored. To defeat the spread of communism, 58,209 boys, young men and women lost their life. And then we had this kind of a stalemate. A period of time from, really because the war, the last of the war ended in 75, but really it's it's kind of 71, 72. And then we begin to see this period of time up into the 1980s, which we're now getting to somewhat of the heightened part of the Cold War. The real big concern uh, uh, of Cuba and, and all these entities with Soviet Union and all these communistic countries. And then starts this Lebanese Civil War. We hear of Beirut a small little area in that region where the Palestinian Liberation Order and the Muslim Brotherhood sought to create a genocide and destroy people so that they could influence, once again, their form of religion. 266 men lost their life. 1982 to 1984. If you study the next war in Grenada, 1983, 19 men lost their life, a little small island just to the north of Venezuela, northeast of Venezuela, little Caribbean island. When you see men that are being killed in the streets and, 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 and Pro- President Ronald Reagan sat back and said, you know what, we can't sit by and just allow this to happen. We've got to go and we've got to fight. We were supported by every single nation within the United Nations. Say, so why do you name that one? Because I think that was kind of the precursor as we begin to shift forward, where then wars just begin to get a little bit more frequent. Went into Panama as a, as a peacekeeping force, expeditionary force, where we went in to arrest this guy named Manuel Noriega, who was a drug runner. Panama, 82nd Airborne, the Ranger Battalion, the Special Forces, and the Navy SEALs went in. 40 men lost their life to execute an arrest warrant against this one man. That's the nation that we serve. We care that other people are being persecuted and broken down and downtrodden. And then in my life, I'll never forget the day I was sitting up at my mom's office and I got the phone call. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And if you ever were in the military and you got a phone call, let me just kind of open up to you uh, uh, something that I hope you understand. There's this there's this code word that we had within our unit that when you got a call, sometimes it was a code word of practice. That meant that you got the code word, you knew it wasn't a real war call, but you had to respond in the same way. You had to get your uniform, get all of your stuff. You had to report to your duty station. You had to load the trucks. You had to go through the whole thing. And then they said, okay. You're not going to war. Let's unload everything. Let's get everything done. You go back home. You do that all the time. Ain't all right, Zach. I mean, it's true, isn't it? We did it over and over and over. Well, I'll, I'll tell you now because it's not classified now. It wasn't. But let me tell you what happened. Ours was called grazing herd. Grazing herd was the practice uh, code word. And we get that phone call sometimes two times a week. And they would say, this is a grazing herd message. I'd go, okay, cool. i get all my stuff together. I'd report down there. We'd load everything up. We'd unload it, blah, blah, blah. Well, the big one was Raging Bull. And that meant that it was real, that it was really a war, and now it's no more practice, it's game time. I remember that phone call, it was about 6 p.m. in the evening, I sat up at my mom's office at Day Realty, the phone rang, and I answered, and the guy said, is this Specialist Fourth Class Mark Pritchett? I said, it is. He said, this is a Raging Bull message. I went, I hung up the phone. I'm thinking, you got the wrong number. It really happened. Got my stuff together, and there ensued Operation Desert Storm. I'll never forget the streets of this community. They lined the streets all the way from Thomason all the way through Yatesville as people left this community. And i never forget Lee, Lee Greenwood. You remember the song he sang? I won't, I won't sing it when all these guys were coming home my wife I never forget she went down to Fort Stewart where I was stationed and you know I had already gotten back and we were doing a lot of stuff but she would go out to that parade field every day and all these soldiers coming home from Operation Desert Storm and once again Lee Greenwood singing that song proud to be an American y'all want me to sing it don't you it ain't happening why do we go Because a man named Saddam Hussein rose to power, and he was killing his own people, spreading mustard gas on his own people, killing them. And he was overtaking Kuwait City and moving into Saudi Arabia and that entire region. And we went there to liberate Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. And, man, America showed up. We ended that war, just actual ground war, in about two weeks. But watch this. 258 men and women lost their life then we see something that you won't hear a lot about unless you watch the movie Black Hawk Down. But there was a Somalian civil war that ensued at the hand of this man named Muhammad Adid, and he was killing people, and he was a drug lord. And America sat back and he said, you know what? We can't sit back and allow that. I'm so thankful that we have that kind of ideology in America, that not only do we need to protect ourselves, we need to protect those who can't protect themselves. And we sit the 75th Ranger Regiment, and the Special Forces Group, and Navy SEALs, and Delta Force. We went in just for a very, very short few days, and 43 men lost their life on that dreadful day. But here's the interesting thing. The Battle of Mogadishu, the battle in Somalia, really set in motion who we are as Americans that we we don't just sit back and allow people to be picked on that we are truly the ambassadors for Christ that even if watch this even if it doesn't involve us we have a right to be there to stand up for those who can't stand for themselves and in so doing men gave their life ultimate sacrifice for that cause I wonder do we really get our head around that then in 2001 How many of you remember where you were when the trade towers in New York City were bombed? How many of you remember where you were? How many of you were not born at that time? Raise your hand. You were not born in 2001. I was in my house in LaGrange, sitting there with my Class B uniform on, heading to Fort Benning, drinking my coffee. My dad was over there doing some work at my house, my wife and I, my kids, and I'll never forget it when it happened see that first tower come down not really sure what's going on then the second tower that started hear me that started a war and a process that is yet to end today oh yeah but mark operation uh enduring freedom operation iraqi freedom enduring freedom in afghanistan all of these things 4,489 men have died just in those alone. Total deaths, 6,852 people and counting. And I'm going to say something to you that might not sit well, but I want you to hear this. We will never come home from the Middle East. Because that's where it all is going to happen from a biblical standpoint. That war will not end until the peace, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, comes to this earth. You can, you can write that down. You can count on that. And we may have some little skirmishes here and there. But let me give you this number. I want you to write this number down. Total Americans lost today and counting, because there's a plus at the end of it because we're losing guys still today. 1,354,664, each of which had a name, each of which had a family, each of which had a life. And he gave it up. Why? Here's where I want to bridge as the band comes back out to understand why, how, and what we have to understand why the conflict still ensues today. And, and I looked this up and here's what I believe to be true. Consider this. How many of you guys in here once again, served in the military guys and gals. I want you guys specifically to listen to me because you know this to be true. Hear me. Do you know that when we took that oath and we held up our right hand, we all took the same one, That I, Mark Pritchett, do solemnly swear affirm that I will defend, support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. And I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. And that I will defend it against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. And that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me in accordance with regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Watch this. So help me, God. That was your oath. That was my oath. And the reality here is this, watch this, that even by taking that oath, I have promised even to protect those who will kneel at the flag rather than those who will stand. That I have even protected the rights of those who have the freedom to burn the American flag in the streets as well as those who will salute it and honor her. That I have even protect the rights of those who choose not to believe the fact that we were founded on Christian values with Christian hopes as a Christian nation. That I even fought and stood watch for them. And I also fought for what our founding fathers drafted. And I want to read that to you in the second paragraph. That we hold these truths to be self-evident. I mean, they're they're there. You don't buy them. You don't earn them. They're self-evident that all men are created equal. And that they are endowed or given by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Watch this. That among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But I want to read the rest of this. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That's you and I. And that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends. What ends? To the rights that we were given by our creator that it is the right and i submit to you the duty of the people to alter or to abolish it that said government and to institute a new one so i want to turn the page and show you something that really god showed me that really and truly god gave us a relational gift given us by our creator certified by our founding fathers brought to us by the living redeemer in the form of Jesus Christ fought for and died for by men and women in the United States military. And then you and I as ambassadors for Christ stand up and join the fight to affirm our oath to support and defend not the constitution, but our biblical mandate to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the only hope of the entire world. So much so that every man, every woman, every boy and girl, every nation, every kindred, every tongue can know the person of Christ. I I want you to hear my heart here today. I was telling my son backstage, here's what I think. Many of you who who have served in the military, you really do get it. Because you know what that dreadful day was like even when you reported to boot camp, basic training, whatever it might have been called for you in that time. You know what it's like to leave family. You know what it's like to turn in all your, all your luxuries of life and go and sleep on the wet ground and, and call it fun. And then somebody looks at you in the face and says, oh, and you volunteer for this. But what about those of us who will never serve? Not a problem. You too have that right. So then do we just sit back and just ride? Just go through life aimlessly? Or do we join the ranks of the greatest military force known to man and as the army of Christ to say I may not ever pick up my weapon per se and go and declare war against the people but I may pick up my true weapon the sword of the spirit the word of holy God and declare truth over dying people bankrupt souls become deposited with hope so lest we forget the people like Stephen St. Stephen the first martyr in Christian history in Acts chapter 6 and 7 who was stoned to death for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and that as he's thrown into this terrible dreadful place stones are thrown upon his head he repeats the word of our Messiah on the cross that said God that you lay not the sin at their charge and the Bible says something most profound because at the height of the ascension of Jesus Christ the Bible says he ascended and was seated at the right hand of the Father but in Acts chapter 6 and 7 with Stephen the first martyr of Christendom he stood up Jesus said The Bible says Jesus stood at the throne of God as if to honor those who had fallen. I mean, get a picture of that. See, the reason he's seated today because it's a place of rest. He said it is finished. It is settled. But when you and I take our ranks and join the anthem of being a fighter for the person of Christ, Jesus stands in your honor as if to say, I'm with you. I've gone before you. I've made a way where there is no way. And then watch this. Then we advance to the person of St. Peter. The one who denied Jesus, but yet was restored through the resurrection of Christ. And then preached and 5,000 people, accepted Christ in one sermon. And when he was taken out to that dreadful moment, somewhere around 70 AD, and he was actually going to be crucified. And they said, we're going to crucify you just like your Savior was. And you know what he said? I am not worthy to die in the same manner. I would have you that you would crucify me upside down. Same man who denied him. Impetuous Peter had given all for the cause of the glory of Jesus Christ to perpetuate the finished work of the gospel message. For his brother, Andrew, who was a disciple of Jesus, a brother of Peter, after Jesus' death, he preached through all the region, started in several churches, was crucified on the X. Ex- shaped Latin cross because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified on the Roman cross as my savior. A word about more in modern times around 155 and 167 AD, a man named Polycarp, a disciple of the apostle John, the only disciple who did not die martyr's death. Polycarp may have very well been the one of the chief people responsible for compiling the New Testament Bible in a language that you and I have today. Never forget the name Polycarp. Because Polycarp, listen to this, Polycarp, because of his efforts to translate the Bible out of Latin and out of the other languages and put it in a language we, the common people, could have. Because of his efforts, he was burned alive at a stake. Think about that for just a moment. As we go through our religious life, our faith journey. That a man was tied to a stake, sticks poured around him, the stakes would burn, and it would start at his feet, and then consume his entire body while he was yet alive. Or let's not forget John Wycliffe, called the morning star of the Reformation, was a 14th-century theologian, probably best remembered as a translator of the scriptures into language after language after language after language so that no man, woman, boy, or girl, every nation, every kindred, every tongue would have an ability to read it in their own text. And the Wycliffe Bible Institute today is still translating Bibles into language of foreign people, unreached people groups. Yet when he died, they hated him so much that they exhumed his body, tied him to a stake, spat upon him, filleted him, and set him afire. Or what about William Tyndale? Translated the Bible into English. Reformer who stood against the teachings of the Catholic Church and the persecution thereof of papal authority. They hated him so much, they tied him to a stake and was going to burn him alive. But before they could set him afire, the people of the day ran around and choked him to death, beat him to death right there on the stake, and then consumed his body. Or maybe one that really is near and dear to my heart. Five men Jim Elliott, Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming, and Roger Yoderin, who in the 1950s decided to learn a tribal language of the Wadawi people. These men left the comforts of home, learned the language of the most notorious tribal people in Ecuador showed at that time that these were the most homicidal people on the face of the earth. That 7 out of 10 men in the Wadari tribe were killed by homicide at the end of a spear. The people of the Shell Oil Corporation had gone in to try to acquire some of the land because of the rich soil there and the the ability to drill for oil. The Wadari tribe would overtake them at the beaches and spear them to death so the shell oil company and many other lobbyists said you know it's such a wealthy place we're gonna go there oh we don't want to talk about this but it happened in the 50s we're gonna go there we're gonna simply exterminate the wadawi tribe please don't lose me here this is where i want you to grab on to so these five men and their wives and their children picked up everything, laid their life down and went there and said to the Shell Corporation, let us go as an intercessor. Let us go as a mediator to see if we can bridge the gap to these people. Elliott was a pilot, a bush pilot. So he went in first and f- flew his Piper plane, open cockpit plane and flew around and they began to take images of these people looking up finally they constructed one was an engineer they constructed where they could let a rope down and if they would continue and fly in a circle the centrifugal force would allow that bucket to stop and they would give them gifts and the wadari people received them for the first time and then the next few days they gave them something back headdressings and they realized that there was a a a bridge being a gap being bridged between these people so they said you know what let's fly over let's find a place to land our plane found one little stretch of a beach there in the Ecuadorian jungle, a sandbar that they coined as Palm Beach. January 8th, 1956, these five men left their families. They flew into this sandbar and Jim Elliott He told Nate Saint, he said, we have a gun. but Here's the deal. Even if we get overtaken by this tribe, don't pull it out. Because we know, we know where we're going. But if they die at our hand, they're in hell. So we're not going to fight them. We're going to liberate them. Jim Elliott was the first one out of the plane. He walked up, and these two women came walking up to him as the book tells. And they were bringing gifts, and they thought, we've arrived. We've been able to do it. And as they went to receive those gifts, then the Wadari tribe men came out and began to spear them to death, shoving spears through their chest. They fell over right there one by one. Died on that beach that day. One of the main warriors of that day in the Wadawi tribe, his name was Minkayaye. A couple of days went by and they finally got word back to the family who was sitting there waiting for their loved ones to come back there in the jungle at the safe house. Devastated, the widows of these men and the children sat back and, what do we do? Steve Saint's son, Nate Saint overheard his aunt speaking to the rest of the ladies and said we will not let them die in vain lest we forget that as a memorial to our husbands who gave their life we're going to stay here either until we die or until we share Jesus with them and they accept the hope of glory I think I have a couple of pictures. Steve St. died, but Nate, his son, later met the man, McKinaya, over to the left, and that's the tribal guys who killed his father. And and, and Steve recalls the day that he, he heard that his dad was killed. And he remembers thinking what his dad and them told him, because in his, in Jim Elliot's journal. He wrote these words. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That the one thing the world cannot take from you and I is our salvation, our hope that lies in Christ, a hope that's worth fighting for, and a hope that's worth dying for. Marge, Steve's wife, I think we have a picture of her stood with Mekunyai in 1997, embracing him, forgiving him. And today, Mekunyai is an ambassador for Christ himself. Matter of fact, they even got a picture of Mekunyai and the other men who killed these five men, baptizing, see if you can pull that one up, baptizing These two men killed their family, yet. This is Steve Saint's, I mean, Nate Saint's daughter, and that's Steve Saint standing over there. They had led them to the Lord, and now they're baptizing their children on the very banks in which their fathers were killed. Why why do you say all that? I want to leave you with this. Jim Elliott's final writing in his journal before that dreadful day made this statement. I think it's very fitting for Memorial Day. He said these words, it makes me boil when I think of the power that we profess and the utter impotency of our action. Believers, you and I, who know one-tenth as much like these guys, as we do, are doing 100 times more for God than are we. With his blessing and our criticism, oh, if I could write it, preach it, Say it and do it. I wonder why the world is being, people ask me all the time, why do you go over there and preach the gospel? Why not not do it here? Because our people are so stinking spoiled and overchurched that they don't want to hear it. They become numb to it. But I went to Africa and I preached in Nigeria, a very hostile region of Africa. And I never forget as long as I live as I'm standing there and I preached the gospel thousands of people standing out there that couldn't even understand my language had to have a translator and i gave the last part before i gave the invitation i said if you want to know jesus you want to know the free pardon of sin the hope of glory a personal relationship with jesus don't just walk but run and i say this not at all jokingly it sounded like a herd of wildebeest running across that field i had to turn and run and run and jump on the stage for the fear of getting trampled because they were running to jesus the people who know one-tenth of what we know are doing hundred and thousand times more than what we're doing. Why? Why? This could be a great place for me to bring in an Army or Marine Corps or Navy or Air Force recruiter and sign up and say, hey, everybody wants to sign up and go fight. Go, go ahead and register. and You're going to be shipped out in eight weeks. Or I could do it this way. I could stand down front today And say, you know what, maybe, maybe, maybe you're not going to join a military force, but maybe you will join the ranks of the army of Jesus Christ and know that you have what it takes to liberate not only a people, but a world. And if not you, then who? If you won't share it, then who will? Because God has strategically placed you where you are for such a time as this to share the gospel of hope. Hey, let's let's set a memorial, lest we too forget the thousands of people that will die every day without the gospel and go forever into the pits of hell because we didn't share the gospel. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I wonder today if you know for certain of your destination, if you were to die, where will you spend eternity? Do you have the hope of glory? How many of you can say, Mark, I know that I know that I know that I'm a child of the most high God. Lift your hand right now. Hands are going up all over the room. If you're not sure, don't even lift your hands. You can put your hands down. Some of you couldn't lift your hands. What are you waiting for? As an ambassador for Christ I want you to know Jesus died for you and he rose again on the third day and he set you free through the finished work of the cross. All you gotta do is call upon his name and you too can be a child of God, redeemed by the blood of the lamb, living a life of hope and to an expected end, to know that when you live and you die, you're gonna have eternity with Jesus. If you'd like to do that today, I wonder, would you pray with me from your heart to God? Simply a prayer of faith and by the measure of his grace, you can be saved today. Pray this with me from your heart to God. Father in heaven, I am a sinner. I failed you. But today, I ask you to save me, to redeem me, to help me to live for you the day you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you pray that today, without any hesitation, lift your hands. Say, I pray and I invite Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Lift it up high. God bless you, ma'am. Anyone else? God bless you, sir. And you, anyone else? God bless you, ma'am. I see your hand over here. Anyone else? I'm looking around the room. God bless you. God bless you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold your heads up, everyone in the room. This altar's open. If today God is encouraging you to enlist in the army of faith to go out and to be a warrior for him maybe never never ever slinging a negative word never ever picking up a weapon of destruction but picking up your weapon of choice the word of god and sharing your faith i wonder where you come and pray now and say god i give you myself i give you my life i died of self today Maybe if you ask Jesus in your heart today, you'll come and let us pray with you. We have people that would love to pray with you. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe today you're fighting a terrible addiction. And you can't get out of that thing to save your life. Don't you know God can take that stronghold and shatter the chains of addiction and throw them to the ground today. You can walk out of here a new creature in Christ. The old thing's passed away. Behold, he says, I'm making all things new. Or maybe you're just frustrated in your faith today. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. I wonder would you come and make all things new through the person of Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Everyone standing, everyone in the room standing. The doors of our church stand open. If you want to come and be a part of our family of faith, we'd love to have you today. But while they sing, you come. If nothing else, if God spoke to you in some kind of way, just come shake my hand, turn and walk away. But you take this moment for you and for your family. Husband, wife, mom, daddy, boy, girl, anyone, y'all come.